Welcome to the Church at Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. This week, our lead pastor, Mike Yearly, continues his series entitled, The Message and the Movement, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And today, Pastor Mike will lead us in a study of Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18, with a message titled, Jesus and Fasting. Well, good morning. You know, that was Lynn Johnson, Neil Johnson's on staff here. I think I'm going to start calling him Lynn's cute boy from now on. It's like, hey, cute boy. Yeah, like, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, pretty much, yeah. Uh, Lynn, I'm not your cute boy, all right? Just so we're clear on that. Uh, I don't do the cute boy thing. Uh, hey, just wanted to thank you so much for praying for me uh, this week. I've got so many cards and letters and emails. I have so much advice. I could live to 140 right now. And uh, uh, it was just really helpful, your love and affection. Um, and uh, some of it actually paid off. Um, but uh, uh, we had someone here who referred me to someone down in Orange, just leave Orange in. And I think we might be onto something of what might be causing us. So I won't bore you with all the details, but just uh, it's a good thing I go down on Monday. They put me out for a little bit and do a scope of my esophagus and so on. And they, but they think they might know what's causing this. So that'd be great, you know, if they did. And uh, it could be a minor thing and just uh, then allow my nodules to, or my vocal cords to heal up. So um, thank you so much for your prayers. P- please keep, keep them up. That procedure is 11 o'clock and it's only supposed to be five minutes. And so, but still, they're sticking something down your throat. So. You know, I'm not real excited about that. Anyway, uh, my name is Pastor Mike, and if this is your first time to Rocky Peak, special welcome to you. Uh, we're excited you're here, and inside the bulletin is a white message note sheet. We use it every time uh, for our time of teaching, and we're in the midst of a series right now, if you're brand new, never been here, called The Message of the Movement. It's a study of the most famous sermon in the history of the world. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus delivered it at the start of his, his movement, and so it's really kind of where he explains his message. This is what he's about, and so uh, we're in chapter 6 right now, and so if you have a Bible, you want to open up there, Matthew chapter 6, and Um, I'm going to pray, and we'll get started. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for what you're doing at our church. Thank you what you're doing in our life. God, we just sense that we're just coming alive in new ways as a people, and it's all because of you, God, and just the supernatural things you're doing. Lord, there are people here that are just brand new coming to Christ. There are people here that have, have been Christians a long time but are coming alive to you in new ways. And God, we're just so thankful. And so today, we just want to come one more time and ask you again <clears throat> to come and be our teacher, to be our leader. And we just want to say that we are your people and we're here to learn and we're here to listen and then to obey. And so we pray you'd teach us in this time. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, the story starts, it was a fall day, it was maybe the end of summer, start of fall, and uh, he made the decision to leave his hometown in the north and travel, make the long journey to the south towards the Jordan River, where the whole nation was going out to be baptized by his cousin, John. And we're not sure how many days it took him to get there, but, but he eventually arrived and John was surprised to see him. And, and when Jesus asked his cousin to baptize him, his cousin looked at him, he was really shocked and said, are you kidding me? If anyone should be doing baptizing, like you should be baptizing me. And he says, no, John, it's just the right thing to do. Let's just kind of, let's just do this. And so John finally agreed and they went out in the water. And of course, no one really knew Jesus at that time. And so um, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like everyone was paying that much attention. But can you imagine, you know, these two cousins, they've just born months apart and they go out into the water together. And what would that have been like to hear that conversation, you know, between 
between Jesus and John, uh, these, two, these two leaders of this new movement, the kingdom of God. And so they have their conversation. And whether Jesus knew what was coming next or not, we don't know. Um, he did, we're not sure if he knew what was going to happen when he came up out of the water. But as John laid him down in the water and brought him up, the Spirit of God came upon Jesus to empower him for his ministry. And the interesting thing is, is the very first thing the Spirit told Jesus to do was not to launch his movement. Uh, the first thing that he told them to do was to go out and go continue further south um, down to an area the locals called the wilderness. Now, this is a part of Israel that's barren. It's a yellow earth. It's limestone that's decayed over time. It's jagged peaks. It's mountain, barren mountains that run in all different directions. The sides of the mountains look like shingles off a roof because the limestone is layered in. Amen. <laughs> God bless you. And so it's to this barren area, this area where King David used to once hide out before he was king, and, and he would hide out from Saul. It's this barren, arid land that Jesus went, and the Spirit led him to this place, this desolate place. And if you ask the question, well, why would the Spirit lead Jesus to such a desolate place, the answer is pretty clear. It's because in the, this is the one place in all of the land of Israel where he would be absolutely alone. There would be no one there to bother him. And for the next month and 10 days, he would spend there one-on-one, -on -one, just he and his father. And we don't know a lot about that time. We don't know exactly where he stayed. We don't know if he slept out under the stars or if he uh, rented a Bedouin tent. Or we don't know if there was a cave there that he hung out and made his own for those 40 days. But think of that. Uh, today is July the 8th, right? Let's jump ahead. Let's move to the middle of August. That's about the time that he would be there one-on-one -on -one with his father. And so there's not a lot that we know about that time. We don't know what he did during the long days, the end of the summer, the start of the fall. We don't know what he did during those long, early fall nights, sitting around the fire by himself for over a month. Did he study the word? Did he hone his message for the message of his movement? Was it just a time of prayer? We don't really know exactly what he did, but here's one thing we know about that time in Jesus' life. We know that when the Spirit sent him into the wilderness to pursue his Father, to hone his message, to prepare for his movement, and to do battle with the enemy, we know this one thing, that the Spirit was very specific, that part of his preparation was to not eat voluntarily for 40 days. See, fasting was the spiritual discipline that God used to prepare him for his ministry. And so today we're going to be talking about the spiritual discipline of fasting. My hunch is that most of you have never heard a whole message on that. It's something we've kind of, it's kind of become unpopular or whatever in uh, Christian circles. And yet it's something that Jesus seems to assume that we'll do. Now we're in a passage of scripture that starts in Matthew 6 and verse 1. It goes through verse 18, right? We've been here for two or three weeks. If you've been here, you know the main message of this section is very simple. That Jesus is talking about spiritual disciplines, things that we can pursue in our lives to pursue God, uh, things that we can do to grow spiritually, things like giving to the poor, things like prayer, things like fasting. And in every one of his illustrations, Jesus' main point is the same, that here at Rocky Peak, as his followers, that Jesus is asking us not only to do the right things, but to do them for the right reasons. And the right reasons is never to impress people in our life group. 
The right reason is never to impress the people next to us. The right reason is always to pursue God and to grow deeper in Him and to meet Him and to learn to live our lives for, as we've said, the audience of one, not to live for the approval of others. We want to break the addiction to the approval of others. And so he's given us these three examples. What does that look like in the area of giving to the poor? What does it look like in the area of prayer? And today we come to the area of fasting. So what we're going to do is we're going to take some time looking at this brief section where Jesus talks about fasting. And then as we've done throughout the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to use this as a launching point, a jumping off place where we can um, say, what else does the Bible say about this important topic, okay? And so uh, let's take our Bibles. Let's go to chapter 6 and verse 16. Just three short verses. And Jesus starts off, verse 16, says, When you fast, now, again, the operative word is what? When. Right, say it again. The operative word is when. We've seen this all three examples, right? He said there was giving the poor. He said it with, pre- with uh, not preaching, with uh, praying. He said that when you do these things. So Jesus is assuming that it's his followers here at Rocky Peak we will give to the poor. He's assuming, as his followers here, we will pray. He's assuming now that we will fast, right? So he says, so when you fast, uh, don't look somber like the hypocrites do. Now, the, in that day, the spiritual leaders, the Pharisees, they would fast on a regular basis. In fact, if I remember right, it's like Mondays and Wednesdays for their day for fasting. So two days every week they'd fast, and it might be Tuesday, Thursday, but you get the idea. And so they would fast, and of course they would make a big deal of this, right? They, they would want you to know they were fasting, and so they would disfigure their faces. Maybe they'd put some, some ash on their face to, to kind of let you know, I'm in mourning, I'm fasting. Um, or, or maybe they would just make faces or, you know, let you know, boy, my stomach's really growling, or boy, that food really looks good, you know. But in some way, they would like let you know that they were fasting. And so he says, um, don't look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. Now, I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. And we've seen this all the way through this section, right? That Jesus says, when we do the right things in life for the wrong reasons, that we will impress some people. But that's all we're going to get. God's not going to meet us. God's not going to reward us, right? They receive the reward in full. But when you fast, notice again, when, not if, when you fast, just do your, your normal daily routine. You know, put oil on your head or mousse or whatever you put on your head. And, uh, and wash your face. Do your makeup, uh, women. <laughs> um, anyway, just, just kind of do your normal thing. Just look normal. And uh, he says, so it will not be obvious to men that you're fasting, but only to your father who's unseen. And your father who sees what's done in, in secret, then he will reward you. God will meet you there. He'll bless you for this. So we see the same principle once again applied to fasting. He says that, that how, how do you know, know that you're living your life for the audience of one? How do you make sure your motives are pure? Well, as a general rule, you don't let other people know when you're doing the right thing. Whether it's giving to the poor or praying, you don't make a big deal of it. Now, throughout this series or this section, we've seen over and over again that Jesus uses extreme examples every time we've said, now look, there's exceptions or whatever. This is a general rule of thumb. So he says, when you give to the poor, don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. We said, that doesn't mean you can't write a check because someone somewhere will know your name. You know? We said that when, when, it, when you uh, go to your room and pray, it uh, doesn't mean you can't pray in public. We had examples of that from the Bible. Same with fasting. But there are times when you fast that people are going to need to know. Like in your family, for example, uh, they're going to need to know 
that you're fasting. It's going to kind of be kind of weird on day three if you're, I'm still not, I'm not just not hungry. I don't know, <laughs> you know. And so, um, the, so your family, sometimes you're going to pray as a team, you know, like a prayer team. Well, hey, let's fast over this issue. And they're going to know. Um, sometimes for teaching purposes, you need to like, if you're teaching on fasting, you need to say, okay, here's a lesson I've learned. And so, and of course, this is what Jesus did because he fasted for 40 days. But how do we know that, Right? He must have told his disciples, right? And we know it in the, in the book of Acts in chapter 13, we have examples of a group we'll look at later that they fasted. We have their names. So it's not some carte blanche thing that no, no one should ever know, you know, your thing. But his general rule of thumb is you shouldn't let people know. Keep it quiet because this is the best way to make sure your motives are pure, right? So that's the, the rule of thumb. Now, okay, so that's the passage that Jesus talks about fasting. And like I said, I want to jump in and, and kind of use it as a springboard to talk about fasting. Because here's my hunch. That though Jesus assumes that we will fast my hunch is most of us here have probably never fasted. We've probably never even heard a message on fasting. We don't know much about it. Um, it's kind of weird. I, I want to do something out of order here, okay? I, I want you to go take your note sheet. Would you jump to point number five on your note sheet? I think it's on the very back. And <laughs> I want to read a quote. This is a quote from uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a very respected uh, uh, British pastor of a, a former time. And he wrote a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. And on this section on fasting, uh, this is what he says. He says, for evangelicals, and that's kind of a term for like Bible-believing Christians, right? For evangelicals, the whole question of fasting has almost disappeared from our lives and even out of the field of our consideration. How often and to what extent have we thought about it? What place does it occupy in our whole view of the Christian life and the discipline of the Christian life? I would suggest that the truth probably is that we are very rarely thought of it at all. I wonder if we've ever fasted. I wonder if it's ever occurred to us that we ought to be considering the question of fasting. The fact is, is it, um, is it not, that this whole subject seemed to drop right out of our lives and right out of our whole Christian thinking. And this is very true, I think, right? And so we live at a time in church history. We've not been taught a lot. We've not really emphasized this a lot. And yet as you look through church history, this is a huge part of church history. This is what godly men and women have often done in times of really seeking God. And Jesus assumes it's something we will do. And so what I want to do today is just as a church, just kind of do fasting 101. It's like go to school together on the Bible, all right? And it's going to be fair, feel very much like a classroom experience today where we just kind of roll up our sleeves and say, okay, what does the Bible say? And to organize our thoughts and approach, I'm going to make five kind of general statements there about fasting, under Fasting 101. And then under several of them, I'll have some subpoints to help us uh, dig down a little bit more. But let's just jump in. Number one, the first principle goes like this, that um, if you were to ask, um, like, why should we fast? You know, what's the purpose of fasting? Number one really addresses that. And it goes like this, that fasting helps us pursue God, Okay. In other words, there are times in our life where we really need to seek God. You just have a sense in your heart, man, I'm, I'm hungry for God. I, I'm hungry to grow in this area. I need an answer to this situation. And there's just a hunger in your life to really pursue God and connect with God. And fasting is one of those tools that God has given us to help us pursue God, you see, to seek after God. Now, the interesting thing is, if you were to read your Bible and you were to look for a verse that were to say, why should I fast? 
There is not one verse in all the Bible that says, here's why you should fast. Here's how it works, okay? Not one verse. So what we really have to do to figure this out is kind of put on our detective hats, and we, we just have to say, okay, uh, let's like pretend we're a detective, and let's do a case study approach. Let's go through the Bible and look at the case studies of when did people fast and look for clues as to why did they do it, you know, what was it about. And so there in your note sheet, I have a section called Why Should We Fast? And I, I want to organize it, and you, you, what you'll see, like if you were to Google the Bible on this, Why Should We Fast? The Bible would answer back to you, there's kind of three reasons, right? Three primary reasons that show up in the words. So let's jump in. Number one, why should I fast? Number one, fasting shows that we're serious. It shows, it shows God that we're serious. Fasting is a way, in a sense, of kind of getting God's attention. Now, obviously, God knows before we ask on that, but you'll see what I mean. It's sort of a way of getting God's attention. I think, God, this is a big deal. I really need to hear from you on this. I, I need to connect with you on this, whatever this issue is. Um, let me give you an example. Uh, how many of you uh, have little kids? Can I see your hands? Okay, quite a few. How many of you um, have little grandkids? Okay, some of you that. How many of you um, know a little kid? Okay, good. Uh, one last question. How many of you ever were a little kid? Okay, so pretty much we're, go- we're good with this. All right. I want to make sure I could use this illustration. All right, so, so you have little kids, right? It's 5 o'clock in the evening. You're going through a grocery store. All right, picture this. Um, it's Christmas time. You're walking through a toy store, right? Now, already you're getting nervous, aren't you? Right, you know that experience, right? Because your children, typically, they get a case of, oh, I've got to have that, right? And they're just like, I want that, and I want that, and I want that. And they're acting like if they don't get this, they're going to die. You know, right here, right on the spot, they're going to die, right? Sometimes they actually fall down to create the illusion of dying, you know? I'm having a seizure right now because I can't have that thing that I want, you know? Would you buy me the Twinkie, please? You know? and, so, and so now as parents, we learn that they really aren't going to die, that, that they just feel like they're going to die. And we learn over time that in 10 minutes, they're going to forget all about this thing, or two hours later. And so we just learn to ignore them on certain things, right? There's certain things they ask for, and we just learn to ignore them. And then as your kids grow older, you learn that there are other things that your kids really want, It's not like a passing fad. It's not a momentary thing. This is something deep within them that's really connected. And and when you see that in your child, if you're a parent that loves your kids, which there's a big if there, but if you do, what you're moved, right? You're moved because you want to meet that need. In fact, you may take a second job. You may cut back on something else. You're going to go the extra mile because you love your child, and you realize this thing is not a passing fad. This means a lot to them. I remember the day I fell in love with motorcycles. It was in junior high. Uh, we'd gone out to the desert with some friends. There's a place called um, Blair Valley. It's out in Anza Brega Desert. It's a, it's a, uh, a wide open ancient uh, lake bed, flat, uh, desolate, good for nothing but RVing, or, or not RVing, uh, but you know what I'm saying, uh, dune bugging, you know, uh, motorcycling, stuff like that. And so I got there, I think it was in seventh grade. And I, my, some of my buddies had motorcycles. I'd never ridden one. I'd never even wanted to ride one. You know, it's just like, I don't know. I, just, I never thought about it. So we go out there with our buddies, the friends, the Chapmans. They have two motorcycles. I still see them. Remember First Love? I still see them in my mind's eye. You know, it's a white Enduro Yamaha 125, the green 175, bigger version. And, you know, it's kind of metallic green. Uh, it was so cool. You know, the knobby wheels and whatever. And so, um, and so they're out there riding this thing, and I'm like, I, in an instant, I fall in love with motorcycles. 
I mean, I just have to have one of these things. I come home, I'm buying motorcycle magazines. I'm talking about motorcycles. And, and fortunately, my parents were wise. They, they saw that this was a very, a very deep part of me had been touched. This wasn't just like a passing fancy. This was a core. This was part of my soul as God had created me. <laughs> and, um, and so after much parent fasting, no, uh, and so uh, they connected with that. And you know what really tipped them off is that I was willing to help pay for this thing. <laughs> and that's always a hot tip. And so... Um, so we worked out this deal where they bought me the motorcycle, and this is where my addiction to credit started. Just kidding. No. Um, but uh, they bought me the motorcycle and allowed me to pay it off on time, and I paid for half of it, and I was happy to do so. I had a paper route, and I'd, every month I'd pay them a certain amount on this, this motorcycle. And, and what they did is they, they realized that this wasn't a passing fancy. This was something that had really gripped me. Okay, now, here's the, here's the analogy. In our relationship with God, so, much, so many of our times, our prayer life, we're like two-year-olds. We're like, going, oh, God, would you do this? God, would you do this? God, would you do this? By Thursday, we can't even remember what we asked for on Tuesday, right? We're just kind of throwing up requests, you know, as if God's this kind of vending machine in the sky. But then there's times where it's like, no, God, I really need to connect with you on this. You know, I'm serious about this. We need to have a discussion, you see. And, and fasting is one of those ways, you see it all through the Bible, where people say, God, this is so important. I need to connect with you so much right now. I'm hungry for you. I'm so hungry for you. I, I'm willing to go without my food, see, to seek you on this issue. And it's one of those things, where it's like you see throughout the Bible, God says, okay, this one's important to them. This one, their heart's really involved in. And so, so the first reason, uh, for, uh, for first, first reason for fasting is it shows God that we're really serious. And by the way, we're going to take longer on point one in case you're worried. Uh, then we'll, we'll move on uh, faster for that. Number, the second reason why we fast, under point one still, is that uh, the fasting humbles us and it teaches us to trust. That um, fasting throughout the Bible, it's a way to humble yourself before God and, and to teach you to trust. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this, but one of the most important lessons for your life and my life is that we learn to trust God, that we learn to rely on God and, and really lean into Him and not trust in our own strength. And it's easy to describe that lesson, but it's very hard to do, isn't it? Because by nature, we're very independent. We think we have it wired. Deep inside, we're all a two-year-old that says to God, I can do it myself, right? And so how do we learn to trust God? Well, usually what happens is we have to go through hard times where we just get broken down. Okay, I can't do this. And one of the things that often helps in that process is fasting. Because I don't care how big and strong and capable you think you are, try going without food for about three or four days and see what happens to your self-perception. You see, fasting is one of those things that you just go without food even for a few hours and think of how cranky some of you get, right? I've been around you, right? And so, so when we go without food, what happens is we get in touch with the truth about ourselves, and the truth about ourselves is you and I are created beings and we are dependent on God for everything. For the air we breathe, right? For the food we eat, we are dependent and we, get, we forget that. And so here's a beautiful thing. When you fast, you get in touch with the reality about yourself. And as you, as you get in touch with the reality about yourself, you're suddenly able to, hey God, I really do need your help. I'm not as powerful as I thought. And you're able to rely 
You see, I think of our lives, our lives, we're like, we're like sailing vessels, not, not motorized. We're like a sailing ship, right? And, and the Holy Spirit is like the wind in our sails. And, and we often forget that. And so we go out there and we're like paddling really hard to get this thing going. You know, and so what we need to do is, but what, what releases God's power in our life is when we learn to trust and we rely, okay, God, we're trusting. That's when the wind of the Spirit kicks up. It's at those moments we're really relying and he waits for that in our life, right? And so when we are weak, then we are strong. And that's what Paul says. There in your note sheet, he learned this lesson. God taught him this important lesson. My power, God says, is made perfect in your weakness, Paul. For when I'm weak, Paul says, that I'm strong. And so fasting humbles us, and it puts us in a place to trust, which then releases the power of God in prayer, you see? Okay, number three. The third uh, Third reason why we fast is fasting helps us to focus. Now, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but as human beings, have you ever noticed we have a tremendous tendency to get distracted easily? That, like, you can hear a sermon, you get your priorities down, and five minutes later, it's like out the window, like, now what was that? <laughs> right? And it can happen even in the midst of crises. Something's going on with your son or daughter. Something's going on in your marriage. Something's going on in your church. And, and you really want to be praying about it. You want, God, I want to focus on this. But you just, you tend to get distracted. Well, fasting helps to focus us because every time your stomach growls, it's like, oh yeah, right. That's why I'm, and so I'm going to pray for that thing. See, fasting and prayer always goes together. Um, now, a lot of people, another thing that fasting does is it creates time in our day to pray. Because we spend a lot of time, right, preparing meals, cleaning up from meals, eating meals, eating out with friends. And so just try, if you don't fast, if you fast for a day, all of a sudden it's like, you, well, you have an extra half an hour here, an extra hour there. You have time to really pray. Uh, another way it helps us to focus is that most people will, will report this. In fact, if you read the books on fasting, uh, they'll always say this, that most people who fast, um, it, it, there's a sense of spiritual awareness that happens. There's an increased sense of spiritual awareness. You're more aware of the presence of God, and so you're able to, f- to focus on your relationship. Um, most people will, will uh, report that even after three or four days, of, like uh, after fasting, since your stomach shuts down, you're no longer hungry. You know, and, and, and you have more blood going to your brain, and so there's higher mental alertness. Most people will, will report that there's sort of a spiritual euphoria almost that can come uh, oftentimes. So God just seems very present. And so he's, as he's very present and you seem closer, you're, you're able to pray more effectively, okay? Now, I've got to say this, though, uh, because of truth in advertising. Um, none of those things happen to me. <laughs> those really cool things I just described, <laughs> none of that happens to me. Um, uh, so I, I've always uh, said that someday I'm going to write a book called The Alternate Guide to Fasting. Because when you, when you read these books on fasting, they always say this. Okay, these amazing things are going to happen. You know, it's like you have a problem with temptation in your life. You need to fast. You'll get the power you need. You, you, you need an answer to prayer. Fast. This is what happened. You want to draw close to God? Wow, fast. And boy, you're going to be feel so close. And I just got to tell you that in my own life, I just want to be real honest with it because I think some of you will experience this and then this will help. It, it's not like that at all. What happens to me is when God calls me into a fast, and we'll talk more about that later, but when I feel God calling me a fast, what I'll feel like is I'll feel a sense of God's presence before I start the fast. I'll feel a greater heightened sense of his presence calling me to the fast, creating a hunger, if you will, to fast. Once I start the fast, 
He usually says, bye-bye, see you later. (laughs) You know, don't get a lot usually. Not a lot of sense of God's presence. I'm always hungry. (laughs) It never stops. Um, You know, maybe not as hungry after three or four days as the first, but like it makes me mad at these books. It's like this is not true. This is a lie. You do not. You know, I'm just going to be hungry. No special sense of mental alertness. Um, no, that uh, just doesn't happen, you know. But here in my life, here's what I experience with fasting. Is that when I feel like God calls me to go on a fast, that what typically happens is like within two or three weeks, usually after the fast, something breaks loose in the spiritual realm or the physical realm that I've been uh, fasting about. For example, when uh, our youngest daughter, uh, Brie, was uh, two years old, so she's 23 now, and so 21 years ago, um, we had just bought our first house. And you know how it is when you buy your first house, those of you who've done this, usually you're stretching to get into it, right? Uh, can we make the payment? And, and so we had stretched to get in this house, and uh, two weeks after we move into this house, Lynn hurts her back. Now, she's a nurse. She hurts her back, and she has not ever been able to return to that kind of nursing again. You know, so it's it's pretty bad. And so all of a sudden, we're in this new house. Um, I'm not getting paid very much. There's no way that we can afford to keep this house. And so I go, what's this about? You know, we're in this new house. We don't have the money we need to stay in this house. And, And so what should we do? And I really felt God was saying, set aside some time to pray and fast over this. And so I did. And I began to pray and fast. And uh, at the end of that time, uh, about two weeks later, and this happened, and honestly, I don't know, maybe it would have happened anyway, right? Maybe it would have happened anyway, I don't know. But this is what I'm saying in my life, it's a pattern tends to happen. About two or three weeks later, we find out that at the time we were on California state disability, right, which goes for six months. And, but then after that, you know, you're, you're sunk. And so what I found out is the hospital also had a private disability policy, and that would cover us for three years and provide 60% of our income for three years. And over that three years, God increased my income to a point where we didn't lose the house. And that all happened like right after the fast. It all came together. Now, would it happen? I don't know. What I'm saying is that's very typical that for my life, I'll feel called to fast. Don't feel a sense of, uh, wow, so close to God during the fast. But afterwards, you see something break loose that you needed to have break loose, okay? All right, so... um, so, so that's uh, uh, kind of the why of fasting. Let's go to the second principle, and now we'll, we'll kick up the speed. The second thing when we turn into the Bible, uh, when we talk about fasting, is that fasting turns up in times of need. This really addresses the when question. You know, when should you fast? We talked about why you should fast, uh, but now when should you fast? And what you find in the Bible is that typically in the Bible, people don't fast just for their personal growth. Now, I'm not saying this is a bad thing to do. There's been times in my life I've done this for seasons where a day a week or two days a week or whatever, so you you fast just to draw close to God and to grow. You feel called to do that. So I'm not saying that that's not a good thing to do. All I'm saying is when you go to the Bible and say, what does the Bible teach about this? What the Bible teaches is fasting almost always shows up in times of need, times of crisis, okay? And they're kind of special occasions, like fasting's not the norm, it's kind of a special occasion thing you do. And so there in your note sheet's a section called When Should We Fast? And there's like three times that, that tends to show up. Uh, number one, the first time when you see it is during times of repentance. Okay? That uh, in the Bible, that fasting tends to show up when you've been far from God and you, you want to get back with the Lord in your life. And fasting is an aid that helps you to press into God and to seek God and say, God, I want to be one with you again. I, I sense, you know, uh, a need to come back to you. 
And I want to show you I'm serious, right? And so, for example, there's a, 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 a from the book of Joel, there's a, a Bible reference there where uh, the nation of Israel is far from God and Joel the prophet gets a word from the Lord and here's what the Lord says. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. In other words, get everyone together. Summon the elders to get the leaders together and all the people who live in the land, all the people together and bring them to the house of the Lord your God. All come to the temple. And he says, and cry out to the Lord. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart with fasting and weeping and mourning. And so you can see that fasting often shows up as a way, God, we are serious about this. We've messed up our lives. We, we're, we wanna get back with you. Please hear our prayer. Come, come to us. We're seeking after you. And you see that fasting shows up. A second time is during times of crisis. That fasting often shows up in times of crisis. For example, in the Bible, there's a, a, a story there on your note sheet, a verse, Second Chronicles 20. Uh, it's a time where uh, King Jehoshaphat is king over the southern nation of Israel called Judah. And he gets word that he's being marched on by a huge army. They're greatly outnumbered and he's freaking out. It's like, this is really scary. We're getting wiped out. And so it says in verse, uh, right there in your note sheet, some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom. That's to the east. And alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. God, I want to seek you in this. And he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. So the king issues an edict. Hey man, it's high alert, spiritual high alert. We are all seeking God. We are going without food. We're fasting, right? And uh, the people of Judah, they come together to seek help from the Lord. Notice that they're seeking help from him. It's crisis time. And indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. And sure enough, God answered and miraculously rescued them. Okay? A third time, you see fasting show up in the Bible is in time when you need direction. Uh, time in your life, you really need to hear from God. You need direction. You're going through a situation. You need God to direct you. Often this shows up during times of transition. Okay, so for example, uh, Moses leading the nation of Israel out from, the, from Egypt. They're about to start their nation. They camp at Mount Sinai. And God calls Moses to come to the top of the mountain 40 days, 40 nights. He fasted. It was a time of transition where God was giving direction for the future of this new nation. Uh, we saw it today in the story of Jesus. He goes and is baptized. He's ready to start his ministry. There's a 40-day interlude, time of transition. He goes to the wilderness to seek God, right? It's a time of direction, a time of seeking the Lord. We see it in, on your note sheet, Acts chapter 13. The church of Antioch is seeking God about their future. And notice what it says here. In the church of Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, these spiritual leaders. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, so they're, they're worshiping, they're fasting, they're seeking God, right? And then the Lord speaks to them. And he says, I want you to set apart from me uh, Barnabas and Saul, two of their top spiritual leaders in their church, two of their top pastors. So I want you to take two of your top pastors, Barnabas and Saul, later became Paul, right? And I want you to send these guys out to start new churches. So he says, set them apart for the work to which I have called them. So notice after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them. And so often fasting shows up times where God wants to give direction but often during times of transition. Um, several of you know, uh, a lot of you were here when we first came, a lot of you weren't, but um, when Lynn and I first came uh, to Rocky Peak, about two years before that, uh, uh, 
there was a time in my life where I felt like God was leading me to go on a long and extended fast. I didn't know why. I just felt he was creating a hunger in my heart to seek him. And, and often I think of fasting as like a hunger for God. It's, it's kind of a weird thing. It's sort of like Jesus talked about, we'll talk about this later, but um, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from him. And so you're hungry to hear from God. And, and the only way of satisfying that hunger is like giving up your food, so to speak. And it was a time in, in, in that um, I, I just felt this, a call to go on this extended fast. And during that fast, not knowing what it was about, I just felt very called to do this. During that fast, one of the things that God spoke to me, similar to what's happening here, right, in Acts 13, God spoke to me and said, in 18 to 24 months, you're going to go through a major life transition. I didn't know what that meant at the time, but it was a time of direction, right? It was a time of preparation. And so some of you know the story that when uh, the first time we ever came to visit Rocky Peak, and I didn't piece this together until later, first time we came to Rocky Peak was the night before the start of the 18th month. And then uh, it was to the day, uh, 24 months, two years to the day, that we felt God calling us to really, okay, pursue this. This is, this is what we want you to do. We want you to pursue this. And so now it all makes sense. But God was preparing us for a life change, right? And so it was a time of direction. And so those are times in the Bible we see when we should fast. Now, the third point is that fasting shows up in several different shapes and sizes, In other words, if you were to ask me, well, Mike, how are we supposed to fast? I mean, what does that look like? And, you know, how long and what should we eat? Uh, what we'd, we'd see is in the Bible, there is no one right way, that there are multiple ways to do this. And so uh, there's only one place in all the Bible where Israel was required to do a fast. And it was in Leviticus 16. It was on the Day of Atonement when the high priest would offer the sacrifice for the sins of the nation. On that day, all Israel was required to fast every year. But that's the only regular fast they had. Later, after Israel came back from captivity, when they'd gone to Babylon, they instituted some other fasts to, kind of, to remind them of that experience. But the only one required in the Bible was, in, was the Day of Atonement. And so the Bible really doesn't spell it out. But again, case study approach, uh, what you'll see is there's three different kinds of fasting that comes up. So number one is called a normal fast. So a normal fast um, is a time where um, you, you don't eat any food or take in any nutrients. So no, no uh, liquids with nutrients. Okay, so you don't, take, you don't drink juice. Um, you, you don't drink milkshakes. Um, you know, no blizzards, um, whatever. That, uh, uh, that you just don't take any nutrients. And so that's a normal fast. Usually in the Bible, a normal fast is a one-day fast, normally. Um, but it could be longer, but it's, it's, you, you don't eat food or nutrients, but you drink water, right? A second kind of fast is, uh, I, I'm calling it a total fast. This is times where um, you would absolutely no food, no water. Now, this is very rare, and of course, there's a good reason, because if you go without water for more than a, two or three days, you die, right? And so, uh, it's very rare in the Bible that you would, you know, go do an absolute fast, but he, Moses did it for 40 days and 40 nights, obviously supernatural, right? Okay, the third kind of fast is uh, what you might call a partial fast. And this is where you give up certain kinds of food or drink for a certain time. Now, this is, for example, in the Catholic tradition, um, and I realize this is sometimes abused, like a lot of things in traditions, they, they start off good and they get abused. But in the Catholic tradition, this is the idea behind Lent, 
right? Lent is that 40-day period before the resurrection and before Easter and all. And so you give up a certain something, you know, to remind you that the resurrection and the death of Christ is coming to prepare your heart to be thinking in a prayerful attitude. And so that's the idea. But in the Bible, you see example of this. In the Old Testament, Daniel does a partial fast. He's seeking God on something. I put this uh, note on your verse there, Daniel chapter 10. It says, at that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. So it was a three-week fast. And I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips. So he went on a three-week fast, but it was a partial fast, right? So nothing good, no good food, no filet mignon, no cabernet, right? All we eat is zucchini, cauliflower, and the like, right? Which is a major sacrifice, by the way. Now, in our own day, you'll often hear people do this. They'll do a juice fast because a juice fast, you're still taking nutrients in and you're, you're fasting, but you can, you can be more productive if you have to have energy for your job or whatever, or maybe you have health reasons, so you can't do the kind of the normal fast. And so that would be an example of our own day, okay? Now, the fourth thing. Oh, well, one more thing on that. As I mentioned, though, in the Bible, fasts last for different lengths of time. There is no one way. So most are one day, right? But we have examples of three-day fasts. We have examples of seven-day fasts, examples of 21-day fasts, and examples of 40-day fasts, all right? Now, number four, um, fast, fasting isn't magic. It's a matter of the heart, Now, this is really important because um, often when you, you read a book on fasting, it makes it sound like all these amazing things are going to happen. There's almost this impression that's created that if you, if, if you fast, it's almost like God is obligated to answer you, you know, because you're showing him you're really serious. And, and so it's almost this Coke, uh, Coke vending machine view of God. And we always have this natural tendency as human beings to take a relationship with God and turn it into ritual, Right? And we talked about this last week with prayer. If I just say the right prayer, the right amount of times, you know, the right words, and God will for sure. And that happens with fasting. That, hey, I'm fasting. I'm showing God I'm serious, so God has to answer. Almost like it's a little magic thing we do. And, of course, it's, you know, fasting's not about that. Fasting is about pressing into God. It's about seeking God and God's will. And, God, I want to connect with you, and I want to know you, and I want to know your mind on this, and I want you to ask you for this thing. So it's really pressing into God for his will in the situation. It's not just like, okay, our little manipulative thing. Now, the nation of Israel would often get into major trouble with this because what they would do, they would go be living in high-handed sin, right, living in disobedience, and then... They would try to buy God off with fasting, you see. And so, for example, there's a great passage in Isaiah 58. It's there on your note sheet. You'll, we'll look at it, or you can look at it this week, where Israel is coming to God saying, God, we don't get it. We're fasting in prayer. We're in a jam. You're not answering us. Why aren't you listening? We're fasting, okay? And God says, well, let me tell you something. Here's the kind of fast I'm looking for from you. I would like you to fast from oppressing your employees. I would like you to fast from oppressing the poor. I would like you to share your food with the hungry. You see? And God says, you're, you're violating all my will, and yet you're asking me to bless you, and you think just because you're fasting, somehow it's going to turn to like the magic key that unlocks the door. He says, get your act together 
follow me, obey me, and then I will respond to you. All right, so fasting is never a replacement for a heart that seeks after God. It's an aid, right? Now, number five, the last one goes like this. Fasting works best when it's led by the Spirit. We started the day with the story of Jesus, and I made a big deal out of this on purpose. That when Jesus came out of the water, he went into the wilderness, it was very clear that the Spirit led him to do that. And all three gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all make a big deal that this whole idea of going to the wilderness for 40 days to seek God and to do battle with the enemy, it was not Jesus' idea. Very clear, it was the Spirit's idea. It was his first command (laughs) when he came out of water, this is what you're supposed to do, right? And what I found in my own life is that, and and here again, I'm going to get very personal. Okay, I'm just going to share with you candidly, like I did last week on prayer, I want to share in my own life on fasting, all right? Uh, Because I think it might be helpful. And again, if it's not helpful, if you've got a better way, great. God bless you, okay? But if it's helpful, uh, that'd be good. So, um, So, In my own life, I found this to be true, that fasting works best when I really feel called to do it. That, um, you know, in the book of Nehemiah, um, Nehemiah has this posh job working for the king of Persia, and God uh, sends, God, uh, he uses the phrase, Nehemiah says, God put it in my heart to travel back to Jerusalem and live a life of hardship to build the walls of Jerusalem. He uses that terminology, God put it in my heart. He created a desire and a passion to do this thing, even though it was going to be a great cost, right? Well, for me, um, I find it works best when God puts it in my heart to fast. He creates a hunger in my heart to fast. And it really is like a hunger. Um, When I first started fasting, when I was a young Christian, I had read a book on fasting. And if you ever do this, I mean, it's just so inspiring, you get done, and like, this is the solution to all of my problems. Where have it been all my life? It's, a, you know, free me from temptation, a new power, connection with God, presence of God. It's be amazing. New gifts will be released. It's going to be amazing. And so I read this book. I get all fired up, and I say, I'm going to fast. And since I've always been, as my wife says, a poor, not sift person, that um, I decide I'm going to start with a three-day fast, which is probably not the best. But anyway, I decided three-day fast, and so um, I start fasting, and I'll tell you, it was the most miserable experience of my life. Now, can I hear an amen? I mean, it's like, yeah, it was just horrible. All I thought about the whole time was eating, you know, what I was going to eat, when could I start eating, how many hours until I can eat, right? It was like no sense of the presence of God. No sense of closeness to God. No sense of power. It was horrible, right? And so after doing that, well, oh, the highlight of the fast was coming off the fast. <laughs> I still remember it, you know? I have very few memories of my youth, but I remember this. It was a Wednesday night. The place was called Foster Freeze, you know? I remember what I had. I had two grilled cheese with bacon sandwiches. I washed them down with a, a, a side order of taquitos with guacamole and a, a root beer freeze. It was the best meal of my life. It was amazing. That was the highlight of my fasting experience. Right? So I made a deal with God. Now, I'm not saying you should make this deal. Just share my story, right? So I'm not, say, I'm not sure he'll go with you for this deal, but this was a deal I made. The deal I said is, God, okay, after doing this two or three times, I mean, I've, I've done this several times. And it was just every time was horrible. 
and then I tried it and it still be horrible. So I made this deal, and the deal was, God, I am never fasting again. That's my deal. But I, I, I put an asterisk on it, unless you specifically call me to do this. If you let me know, then I'm in. Other than that, I'm out. So years went by, no fasting. Wonderful. Great. Life was good. Okay. Then there comes the fall of this particular year, and God begins to create a hunger through a series of events and putting a hunger in my heart to seek him in fasting. I was very clear on it. Very clear. And I tell you what, as I entered into that fast, it was totally different than all my other experiences. Uh, someone asked me last night, was it, oh, was it easy? I don't know if easy is the right word, but it certainly wasn't hard. It, it was a sense of being empowered, a sense of peace, a sense of conviction, a sense of, uh, I just knew I was supposed to be doing this. I had the power to do it. And, and it wasn't about my agenda. It was about his agenda. It's like, God, whatever you have, you know, I'm just seeking you. I'm, I'm not looking for anything. I'm just, I'm, I'm just want to obey you in this. I, you put it in my heart, and I'm going to trust you for whatever the results are, right? And I entered into that. It ended up being a pretty long fast. And here's the thing. That about the, the, uh, at the end of it, about three weeks later, I had an amazing encounter with God that marked me for the rest of my life. And if you were to ask me to this day, okay, trace your spiritual history. Uh, talk to me about times in your life where God showed up and changed you in a powerful way. In fact, if you only had one time, could you give me the one time, it would be that time, right? And what I found in the subsequent years, and as many, many years ago, is I have the same deal with God. Is that anytime you want me to fast, let me know. Other than that, I, I'm not doing it. And he's called you many times, and that's typically what happens is there's a breakthrough of some sort that happens as a result uh, of that fast. And so um, the New Testament gives us a lot of latitude on this. As you're trying to figure this out for your own life. On the one hand, Jesus says clearly when you fast, right? He seems to assume it. There's another passage. I want you to write it down. It's in Mark chapter 2. It's not on your note sheet where Jesus also seems to make that same assumption that his disciples will fast, okay? So that's one end. On the other side of things, though, in the rest of the New Testament, there is not one command in all the New Testament that commands us to fast. So it seems like we have a lot of latitude on this, right? And, and so what we need is to be in prayer. And I think for you, a first step, if this is something new to you, is just to say, God, okay, I want to follow you. Jesus, you, said, you seem to assume I do this. So would you teach me about this? I'm open. I'm willing. And if you put it in my heart and you show me, then I'll, I'll do that. Or you just may want to experiment with it. But um, there seems to be a lot of latitude. Now, um, I want to give you a couple other resources I think will be helpful. These are supposed to be on your note sheet, but I forgot to include them. They're on mine, but it's not real helpful for you. So um, let me give you two resources if you want to read more on this. And in, in your summer study uh, homework this week, there's more on that. I've given you Isaiah 58. I've given you Mark 2. So there's plenty to look. But if you want to like, get some more, like when do you fast? How do you fast? How do you prepare for a fast? How do you come off a fast? What about health concerns? Stuff like that. Uh, here's a, a website. Now, I don't, I'm not going to give you the website because it's too complicated. I'm going to give you the title of the article. If you Google this, it'll come right up, okay? So here it is. It's called Seven Basic Steps to Fasting and Prayer. Okay, Seven Basic Steps to Fasting and Prayer. And it's written by Bill Bright, 
who was the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, who is a big advocate of fasting, and he's just done a great job of laying out the basics there, okay? The second resource would be a book that I'd recommend by a famous pastor and a very well-respected pastor in our country named uh, John Piper, and it's called Hungry for God. And it's a book all about fasting. We're just hungry for God, and we, we press in. You know, as we wrap up this thing, um, you know, we, we started with the story of Jesus. It's very interesting to me that after 40 days of fasting, the Bible says he became hungry. Probably his digestive system was kicking back in after being in hibernation. And it's at that moment that Satan showed up to do battle with him. And it's very interesting to me, the very first temptation that Satan um, got us to fall in the garden was with food, wasn't it? And the very first temptation that he attacked Jesus was, was to break his fast early. Turn these stones into bread, right? And you remember what Jesus said? It was very fascinating. What Jesus said is, no, no, Satan. He said, man, he quoted from Deuteronomy 8. He says, man does not live by bread alone. In other words, man, human beings, were not just physical creatures, We don't live by just bread alone. We're spiritual creatures and we live by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And there are times in our lives when we so desperately need to hear from God, his word in our life. We so desperately need to connect with God that the order gets reversed and we give up our daily bread so that we can seek spiritual bread. Does that make sense? We become so hungry for God that we will reverse the natural order and we will say, I will give up my daily bread because I need to hear a word from God because man does not live by bread alone, but by every word. And it's so interesting because after that temptation happens, the very next thing happens, Jesus ends the fast, Satan comes. In Luke's gospel in chapter four, this is how Luke ends the story. The very next verse after that fasting story, there in your note sheet, chapter 4, verse 14, says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And so you see what happened is that God called Jesus away to spend time with him, to draw close to him, to prepare his message, to get ready for battle, to do battle with the enemy. And one of the tools God used to bring him success was fasting. And the end result was he came out of it in the power of the Spirit. And this is what I've experienced in my life as well, is that when God calls us to a fast and we seek his word and his will above even our food, that there's a power that's released through that, right? A power that's a power of the Holy Spirit in our life. Let's pray together. Father, we want to be a congregation that is hungry for you. And God, we we would just pray you would teach us in this. And what we would ask, God, just very simply, is that you would show us and teach us as a congregation. And for even if of us here right now, (coughs) there may be some that you're even calling right now this week to enter into a fast on some particular issue. We would ask, Lord, simply that you would be clear with us and you put that in our heart. You would teach us. We don't want to get out there on our own. And we pray, Lord, that you would be clear with us and that as we experiment with this, you would show us more and more what it means to give up our daily bread because we're so hungry for you and your will and your kingdom. We pray this in your name. Amen.
We want to be a church that is hungry for you, that doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of your mouth. And so today, Lord, we just pray that you'd come and meet us and teach us about this, that we'd be a church that knows how to rise up and to run after and to pursue you. We pray that you'd respond, Lord, as your word says, that when we seek after you with all of our heart, that we will find. And so we pray that we would find you here at Rocky Peak. It would be a place, Lord, where we experience you in fullness and in power. Part of that, Lord, as we seek you, not only with prayer, but at times even in fasting. We pray this in your name. Amen. You know, this week, uh, just uh, as the Lord would have it, um, I got an email last week from Pat Nepley, who's our director of children's ministry. And, and I, boy, I just hope you know how blessed we are to have Pat here. She's unbelievable. And uh, I, I'm so thankful for Pat. And she, uh, she yeah, give, you know, she's not here, but we'll tell her she clapped, you know. Yeah. But uh, seriously, she is she's an amazing woman. But anyway, um, uh, I got an email from Pat last week. It was sent to staff and maybe some of you in VBS. I'm not sure who it all went to. But, uh, you know, VBS is starting soon. Um, and this Friday, uh, Pat has called a fast, a day of fasting, coincidentally. Not, you know, we preach. There was no connection here. But um, she's called a day of fasting and prayer for our VBS. That God would show up in an amazing way and touch the life of our kids and, and begin to raise up this next generation of warriors, you know, for him, for his kingdom. And so I just put it out there for you that um, if you, you know, as you're thinking about that and praying about it, if God puts that on your heart this week to join Pat and her staff, that's going to be on Friday, just to know that uh, they will be fasting and praying. If you would like to join them, it's an opportunity as God leads you. So we just want to make you aware of that. Uh, may this be a great week for you. May be a, uh, be a time that uh, whether you eat or fast, you experience God's pres- uh, presence in your life. That when we eat, we rejoice in the goodness of our God. And that's the norm, right? And when we fast, we acknowledge that there's something more to life than our flesh and blood. That there is a spirit that we need to connect with. Amen? And so whether you eat or fast, may the Lord be with you this week. And we'll see you next weekend. God bless. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening.